Well, good morning and happy Easter. Okay, for the three of you that are thankful the Lord is risen, I'm going to give you another chance. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. All right, man, I'm so excited uh, that you're here. My name is Matt Darby. I get to be the teaching and campus pastor here on our Gilmer campus, and so I just want to echo uh, what Pastor Ben said earlier, and that is we really are thankful that you've come to have Easter with us and to celebrate that Jesus is alive with us. This really is how my voice sounds today, so I apologize for that. I sound like your dog squeak toy. I'll try not to, uh, <laughs> uh, to get too carried away with that, but we really do think of it as a, an honor. Uh, that you would come and celebrate Easter. So if you're a guest with us, we're especially thankful that, that you're here and we hope that you feel right at home uh, with us here at New Beginnings. And so I'm excited to jump into God's Word and to hear what His Word would say to us this Easter. And I want to start uh, with a little um, audience participation exercise, if you will. All right. So here's what I want us to do. Uh, I'm going to give you a phrase or a word and I want you to say the first word that comes to your mind when I give you the phrase, right? So I'm going to say a phrase, first word that pops into your mind, you're going to shout it out. Here's the first thing. Uh, the, there are some rules. Rule number one is, remember you're at church, you heathens, all right? So that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So I'm just going to, you say the first word, but remember you're at church. Here's the second one. Um, I know that uh, uh, your mama told you not to talk in church, but you get to right now, all right? So this is your moment to talk in church, all right? So I'm going to give you a phrase. First word that comes to mind. Here, we're going to practice. Here's the first word I'm going to give you. If I say fast food, right now, what comes to mind? Did somebody say, I heard McDonald's, and then did somebody say Chick-fil-A? Did somebody, did somebody get out there and affirm that redeemed chicken? That's what I'm talking about. That's good stuff, all right? And I'm going to say another one. Favorite candy, right now. Did I hear Butterfinger? First of all, somebody's eating candy right now. I know you are, all right? Butterfinger's the worst candy in history. It's chalk and chocolate. It's the worst candy in history, okay? All right, let's do, let's do some more. If I say college football. Okay, if you said OU, whew, it's going to be hard for me to stay in the room with you. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm on, I'm on, it's between me and the Lord. It's not a you issue. i got to deal with it on my side. Uh, and, and, uh, but earlier in, the, in one of the other services, I said college football, and somebody went pig suey or whatever you heathens yell from, which wasn't even a word. Suey's not a word. That's just some made-up nonsense, all right? So, all right, I'm going to give you another one. What's the first word that comes to mind when I say uh, going to the movies? What comes to mind? Popcorn, all right. Expensive is what came to my mind. Uh, never going again because it costs too much. That's what came to my mind, right? I'm going to give you another one. First word that comes to mind when I say Dallas Cowboys. Oh, also not a word, right? Uh, there were a lot of boos in the other service, so I feel like this one may go a little, a little better. Um, let's do one more, then we're done. I'll give you when I say the word Easter, what comes to mind? Jesus. I heard some eggs. Uh, I heard bunny. In some, I'm not sure how eggs and bunnies got together at Easter, but that's what's happening. That's what uh, we have. Most people said Jesus, family. I love that. Uh, when I think of Easter, the first word that comes to my mind is life. It's the word life. Life is what comes to mind, the life that is available for all of us because of Jesus. Listen, Easter is this. Ready? 
Easter is that Jesus was crucified on Friday. But on Sunday, his lifeless body received life again. He was raised to life. And now what Jesus offers to us is life. He offers us life. And listen, this is huge for us. This is huge. Matter of fact, it's the biggest deal for us. Here's why. Because everyone in this room, I think, understands and appreciates the value of life. Think about it. We're all trying to live a better life, a fuller life, a happier life, a healthier life, a longer life, right? We go to the doctor. We, we eat a little better. We exercise. Why? We want to live a longer life. Think about everything that you see in the media. Think about every commercial that you see. What do they say? Drink this. <laughs> Take this vitamin. Join this gym. Live this lifestyle. You'll live a longer life. Or how about uh, wear these clothes, drive this car, buy that house, go on this trip. You'll live a better life. It's an improved life. Every commercial that you see is designed to do one thing, convince you that if you buy this thing, you will have a healthier, happier, longer life. Every single one of them. One of the commercials that's out right now is from uh, Expedia.com. And um, you guys know Expedia. It's where you can book hotels and vacations and all sorts of stuff through there. And it's uh, with the actor uh, Ewan McGregor. If you don't know Ewan McGregor, those of you who are not sure who that is, he is Obi-Wan Kenobi in all the new Star Wars movies, if that helps. So Ewan McGregor, he's walking through this warehouse, right? And he's pointing out all the things that we buy to make our life feel happier and, and more full. So he's talking about buying the newest smartphone and, a, and an even thinner TV and the newest fragrance and the newest car and all that. And then he walks out of the warehouse and he steps onto a beach, his beautiful sunlit beach. And he asks this question. It's kind of the punchline of the commercial. And here's what he says. Do you think any of us will look back on our lives and regret the things we didn't buy or the places we didn't go? It's a great punchline, right? But even in that punchline, what are they selling? Don't buy more stuff. Go on more trips. It'll be, you'll be happy. The point is this. Everything in our culture is built around the reality that every person wants a better life, wants a longer life, wants a fuller life. Here's the significance of Easter. Jesus alone offers life. Jesus alone offers life life. And I want to give you some really good news today. It's this. The life that Jesus offers is not a life you have to buy. It is a life that was purchased for you. It's not a life you have to earn. It's a life that is freely given to you. And it's not a life that you have to hope one day with a stroke of luck I might be able to attain. It's a life that you can confidently know is yours. The life that Jesus offers is a life that fills you up. It satisfies you. fills you to overflowing. It is ever increasing in joy and in satisfaction and in hope and in fulfillment. And that is a life worth discovering. And that's what I want us to do this morning. So let's jump in. Why don't you grab your Bible and go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want to kind of give you some context of what's happening in John 17. We're going to be in the first uh, three verses of this chapter. But I want to give you some context for what's going on. In John 17, we are kind of in this in-between place. We are in between the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples and the cross. So we're in those hours. 
right through there. He's, he's, they've had the Last Supper. Jesus has washed their feet. He's really trying to prepare them. He's telling them, I'm going to die, and he's trying to prepare them for his departure. And so we're in between that Last Supper and the cross. And Jesus is spending these hours with his disciples, and he is teaching them some of the last things he'll ever teach them. He's in his last moments with these men. And so in these chapters of John in 14 and 15 and 16, Jesus is teaching them lessons like this. He's saying things like, guys, I'm going to give you a new commandment. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. And as, you, as I have loved you, I want you to love one another. As a matter of fact, this is how people are going to know that you belong to me and how you love one another. He's giving them things like, um, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Right? He's teaching them things like uh, in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, and you should abide in me. And as you abide in me, I'll abide in you, and your life will produce fruit, and it will be filled with joy. But he's also teaching them things like, um, this world is going to hate you because of me. Simply because you belong to me, this world is going to hate you. It might even try to kill you. But he says at the end of John chapter 16, he says, Fellas, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? What does he say? I have overcome the world. And that brings us to this moment in John chapter 17. When I look at John chapter 17, it really feels like we're stepping onto holy ground. Here's why. Because right here, Jesus begins to pray. He begins to pray. And we, we get invited in to this, um, to hear and to feel and to experience this, this intimate moment between God the Father and His Son. So let's look and see what it is that Jesus prays. John 17, verse 1. <clears throat> when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Love one another. They will persecute you, but I've overcome the world. When he had spoken all of those words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And verse 3 is kind of our linchpin verse for the day. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would illuminate your word for us this morning. We, we come to your word, God, empty-handed. We come to you empty-handed, God, but what we are asking is that you would pour out life on us. Jesus, you are life, and in you there is no darkness at all. And so, God, I pray that you would illuminate our lives, that you would illuminate our need for you, and that we would find life in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is it that Jesus is praying? What's he praying? It, you may miss it, but listen, Jesus is praying for us right here. He's praying that we would find life. And so what do these verses teach us about the life that Jesus came to offer? The first thing we see is this, very simple but profound, Jesus came to give us eternal life. 
He came to give us eternal life. It's why he came. Jesus is describing his death and his resurrection, and he tells us he came to give eternal life. Listen, if you miss everything else I say, if you've been checked out up to this point and you check out for the rest of the morning, dial in right now. I need you to grab this, and I want you to hear this. Jesus wants to give you life. He wants to give you life. And not life by the world's standards, not even life by your standards. He wants to give you eternal life. Listen, that's different than physical life. We all have physical life, but we all don't have eternal life. Why? Because eternal life is God's life. It's the divine life. It's more than just existing. This is the life of God, the unending life of God himself poured into our lives through Christ. That's the life he offers. And I think there's times that we miss that reality. We miss the reality that Jesus wants to give us life because I think for many of us, we look at being a Christian and we look at this religion thing and we look at Jesus and we go, that's really just about all the things Jesus doesn't want me to do. The things he doesn't want me to have, places he doesn't want me to go, thoughts he doesn't want me to think, words he doesn't want me to say. And we, we look at that and we think relationship with Christ is really just all the things Jesus wants me to avoid. And we fail to recognize what it is he wants us to have and what he wants to give and what he wants to experience. If you have kept Jesus at arm's length and you have kept being a Christian at arm's length because you've convinced yourself it's about all the stuff I don't get to do, I want you to hear me to say this. Jesus did not come to take life away. He came to give it. He came to give you life, and the life he gives is eternal. And in receiving eternal life through Christ, everything else in your life suddenly doesn't satisfy as much as what you found in him. He came to give eternal life. Listen, that's why at New Beginnings, we want everything we do to turn our hearts toward life in Christ. We've changed our mission statement completely to, so that it points us this way. We want to be people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life. All of our mission, all of our message is centered around life in Jesus. Why? Because eternal life is the most desperate need we have. The most desperate need that you have is eternal life in Christ. It is what you need most. Why? Because of the biggest problem all of us have, and that is sin. We all, every one of us, have the same problem. None are immune. It's the same disease, and we were born with it, and that is sin. And you go, wait a minute. I'm a good person. I wasn't born in sin. I'm a pretty good guy. Let me just ask you a question. Who taught you how to lie? You ever think about that? Who taught you how to be selfish? Who taught you how to say mine and no and me and not? Right? Who taught you how to... Nobody had to teach Matt Darby how to do those things, right? I, I'm still good at them, and I was good at them before anybody taught me how to do that. Why? Because I was born in sin. I was born with a sin nature, which means this, because our biggest problem is sin, our most desperate need is the resolution of that sin because sin has separated us from God. It has cut us off from the source of life. 
It has shattered the relationship we were created to have, which is why when we are not in relationship with God, there is this longing, there is something missing. And some of you have that this morning. There is something undone in your life, and you know it, and you feel it. And it is sin that has separated you from life, cut you off from the source of life, and from this relationship with God. And Jesus has said, I've come to restore that life to you. So how does Jesus do this? How does he do it? One of the hardest truths and the most liberating truths every human being can come to is this. I cannot restore myself to God. Boy, that's hard. Because everything in our culture, everything in our society says, you're good enough, you don't need anything but you, try hard enough, work hard enough, and you'll be fine. You are enough. And Jesus said, no, you're not. No, you're not. I can't overcome my own sin. I can't set myself free. And I can't re reconnect and restore myself to the God that I have been separated from because of my sin. So how does Jesus offer me this life? Look at those first two verses again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Eternal life is available through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How does Jesus offer me eternal life? Through the death, burial, and resurrection. The life you were created to have is available because Jesus died and rose again. Did you know you were actually created to have eternal life? Which is why nothing else satisfies. And Jesus offers this to us. It is available to us because he is alive. When Jesus says the hour has come, he's actually saying something really important. And it's easy to miss that. Jesus is saying, he, he's referring to this moment of completing his divine mission. He's referring to completing the mission God sent him here to accomplish. If you look throughout the Gospels, what you see is over and over again, Jesus will say things like, um, my time has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. There were times when the Pharisees would try to capture him and arrest him because they wanted to kill him, but Jesus would escape. And, and you would see in the Gospels where it says, but he was able to escape because the time had not yet come. And yet here is Jesus now in John 17 saying, the hour has come. The hour has come. He's referring to his death on the cross for sin, our biggest problem, and his resurrection from the grave for our salvation, eternal life. Did you know God promised that he would send a Savior to do this for us? He promised that he would send a Savior who would reconcile us, who would rescue us from ourselves. And restore us back to him. And Jesus is that Savior. And Jesus said, it, it, the hour's come. Think back to the first garden, to the Garden of Eden. Man sinned, was put out of the garden. And in that moment, God made a promise. Do you remember the promise? He said, I'm going to send one who will crush the head of the serpent. Who will crush the head of the enemy. Jesus is saying, the time has come. The hours come. 
Think about in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, when God said, I'm going to send one who's going to be born of a virgin. You're going to call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, I'm going to put the full weight of my kingdom on his shoulders, and of the increase of that kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus said, the time has come for that. Think about Isaiah 53, where God promised that he would send one who would take up our infirmities and carry our sorrows, and he would lay on him the chastisement and the punishment for our sin, and with the stripes on his back, we would find healing and freedom. Jesus is saying, the time has come. The hour's come. It's time for that to happen. The time has come for Jesus to fulfill every promise of a Savior and a sacrifice, and a redeemer. The hour has come. The hour has come. He goes on to pray, God, the hour has come. So glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. What's he talking about? Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. This is the refer- a reference to the glory that Jesus would receive through his death and resurrection. I love that word glorify. The idea behind that word glorify is to be clothed in splendor. Oh, I love that. But don't miss it. Jesus isn't saying, God, put some sparkly robes on me so that I look awesome. No, he's saying, I want to be clothed in splendor. When Jesus says, glorify the Son, he is saying, God, I want to be clothed in the splendor of your glorious plan for redemption. You have this plan, and it is filled with glory that you are going to rescue mankind. God, glorify me with that. Wrap me up. Clothe me in the glory of your plan to rescue humanity. That's what he's praying. Through his death, Jesus paid the penalty of sin. Aren't you glad? And through his resurrection, he defeated the power of death. That is the display of the glory of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about Jesus. Think, think about what happened on the cross. Through Jesus, God displayed his judgment for sin, his righteous standards, his righteous judgment upon sin, his holiness, his wrath of sin. God displayed all of that in the person of Christ on the cross. And at the same time, listen. He also displayed his love for us and his mercy toward us and his grace for us. That is the glory of God. Jesus is praying, God, wrap me in the splendor of your judgment being poured out and your grace and your mercy being given to man. Wrap me up in that. Think about it like this. I love sentences that kind of help clear things for me, and this one does. Think about it this way. Our temporary life of sin has produced eternal death. But Jesus' temporary death for sin has provided eternal life. Think think about that again. Our temporary death, or excuse me, our temporary life of sin has produced eternal death. Isn't that what Romans 6.23 says? For the wages of sin is what? It's death, eternal death. I am eternally dead because of my sin. 
And by the way, it is a temporary life. None of us will live forever. This life will end, and when this life ends, your sin would have either kept you separated from God forever, or you would have found Christ and have life with him forever. But this temporary life that we have of sin has produced eternal death. But the temporary death that Jesus died for sin provides eternal life. Here's the rest of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what is eternal life? What is it? Are we just talking about an unending number of years? Is that what we mean by eternal life? Are we talking about how long a person exists? You know, when most people think about eternal life, they, they only think about going to heaven, right? They think eternal life is, is what I get after I die. That's, that's eternal life. And, and listen, while heaven is a reality, I want to be sure I say this very clearly. Heaven is a reality. Hell is a reality. Okay? While heaven is a reality, heaven is not all there is to eternal life. When Jesus wants us to understand eternal life, he could have used any words, any picture, anything in the universe to tell us this is what it is. But I want you to remember what he said. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is a relationship with God through Jesus. That is eternal life. Eternal life isn't a destination I'm going to when I die. It is a relationship I get to enter into with God now that will last forever. That's eternal life. It's not a reference to how long a person exists or a place I'll end up one day. I want to tell you, eternal life is not about golden streets and pearly gates and harps. That's not what it's about. Eternal life is about discovering and experiencing the, the life of God poured into me because I've been brought into relationship with God through Jesus. It is the divine life. It's the restored life. It's the awakened life. It's the life of being brought from death to life, out of darkness into light. And that happens now, right now, and it's mine forever. Amen? And Jesus tells us how to experience this life. He said eternal life is this, that they know you. The only true God. He defines eternal life as knowing God. Boy, this is critical that we grab this. That word know is the Greek word uh, gnosko. It's a Greek word gnosko. And that word gnosko means an intimate acquaintance. It, it, it means uh, a knowledge that comes from personal experience. So it's more than informational, it's relational, which means eternal life is not so much about going to a place as it is about knowing a person. And notice Jesus doesn't say eternal life is knowing about God. He says eternal life is knowing God. How many of you can attest there's a difference between knowing about a person and knowing the person? Right? <laughs> Some of you have social media profiles, and a lot of people know about you. They don't know you, right? And you don't know them. 
My life changed forever in 1992, and not for a spiritual reason. <laughs> um, some of you have heard me tell the story, because in 1992, um, I heard Eric Clapton's Unplugged album, and everything changed. Right? Anybody ever hear music, and suddenly you hear a certain kind of music, and you go, oh, there it is. I'll do that forever for the rest of my life. I have heard the call. <laughs> I heard Eric Clapton's Unplugged album, and I went, yeah, I'm going to go buy a guitar, and I'll just do that. It looks pretty easy. I'll just do it the way he does it forever. That's what I'm going to do. And um, I started listening to everything Eric Clapton did. I started backing up into his earlier stuff, and I was convinced this was the greatest guitar player that ever lived. I still uh, believe that. So I started backing up into his career, and I started following way back when he was in that first band called The Roosters and The Yardbirds and, and uh, Derek and the Dominoes, and I was coming through those bands. I even read his autobiography, right? I read his autobiography. I found out he was kicked out of art school, which is such a rock and roll thing to do. You know what I mean? I got kicked out of art school. Yeah, you did. And so, uh, so I was reading his autobiography. I, I, I listened to him. I, I knew how he played. I watched his technique. I knew his tone on his guitar. I listened to so much Eric Clapton on guitar, I could pick him out of other guitar players. I could hear other guitars play, but when he started playing, I'd go, there he is. I know who that is. That's Eric Clapton. I followed him. I knew a ton about him. Can I tell you something though? He and I, we've never met. He don't know me. I don't know. He does not know I exist. As a matter of fact, if he knew how much I knew about him, it'd probably be a restraining order involved. Going, no, I don't need that dude around me. He knows way too much about my life. He needs to be over there somewhere. I need, to, I need a cone of safety from that cat, right? <laughs> when Jesus says eternal life, he says it is knowing God. It isn't knowing about God. It isn't I went to church a few times and I learned a few things. It is getting into a personal relationship. It's experiential. I've experienced God, so now I know him, and he knows me. A.W. Pink said this, Knowledge spoken of here is not speculative, but practical. It's not theoretical, but experiential. It's not intellectual, but spiritual. Eternal life consists in knowing, living in, having communion with, and enjoying endless satisfaction in the triune God through the one mediator who is Jesus Christ. Life is not found in academic knowledge of God. Did you know that even the demons have a good theology of God? Even demons have a good they know about God, but they don't have eternal life. They don't have salvation. Why? Because eternal life is found in a relationship with Jesus. And here is Jesus saying, this is life. Life is a relationship with me. It's knowing me, hearing my voice, walking with me, loving me. And this life that I want to offer you with me is eternal. It is knowing God through Christ. And so many of us struggle with this because we want to come to God our own way. We want to come to God on our terms. We want to get to God the way we want to get to God, our own way. Here's the problem with that. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they come through me, which means you can't do enough good stuff. 
The end of your life is not going to be bookended by you standing before God and he lay everything good on one side, everything bad on the other, and if the good outweighs the bad, you get in. you got to liberate yourself from that. Eternity is too long and too far and it matters too much for you to let it swing on the hinge of did I do enough good stuff? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. This is what it means to have eternal life. This is what it means to know God. To know God means that I know Christ. And if I don't know Christ, I don't know God. J.C. Ryle said it this way. He said, God known without Christ is a being whom we can only fear and dare not approach. I wonder if that resonates, if that hits home with anybody. You're at a place where you think, when you think about God, he's just this thing that involves more dread than joy. Or maybe you're just flatlined toward him and you have no feelings toward him at all and he just seems very distant, very, very indifferent toward you. But the way Jesus is speaking of knowing God is not in dread or in indifference. It is in relationship. It is a child coming to a father, accepted, received, loved, known, and fully gathered in anyway. Which means being a Christian is not merely about believing in Jesus so, can I, so that I can avoid hell and get to heaven. But rather, it's a relationship with him now. Now. And if there isn't a relationship with God right now, there is no heaven when you die. There are places that will present a gospel to you and a, a false hope to you that says you can be good enough. I'm telling you that if you die without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from him in hell. Heaven is real, hell is real, and Jesus is the only way. It's the only way. But he has done everything necessary for you to be restored to God. He has done all that is necessary for you to have eternal life. And it's not a life you have to wait until you die to have. It is both here and now on earth, and it is yet to come and forever in heaven. What do I mean by that? It's here. We were created to have a relationship with God right now. We exist to know God right now. This is why nothing else that we pursue in this world ever really satisfies us. It's why no matter how much we make or how much we own, it's never enough. It just reveals there's more need, more desire, just completely unsatisfied. It's never enough. I've talked about uh, John D. Rockefeller before. We all know that last name. Um, when he lived, uh, John D. Rockefeller was the wealthiest man on planet Earth. That's saying something, right? He got that Elon Musk kind of money, right? He was the wealthiest man on planet Earth. And 
he was interviewed and he was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Do you remember what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's what he said. Wealthiest man on the planet. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. When he said that, he had amassed the wealth that was the the equivalent of about 1% of the entire U.S. economy. All you have to know is this. In today's dollars, he was worth about $1.2 trillion. With a T, trillion. Okay, That makes Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like us. Right? That's how much money he had. And they said, okay, Mr. Trillionaire, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. And it's easy to look at that and go, my gosh, that's ridiculous. And yet many of us live in that mentality. We live in that bondage. Can you imagine the bondage of having everything and thinking, I just need a little bit more. Some of you are in that bondage. If I get a little more money, I won't stress as much. I'll be able to have a little more freedom. We won't have as much anxiety. Just a little bit more. If I can get that promotion, if I can take that step up, things will be okay. It'll calm down. We'll finally be in that good place. If we can move out of this neighborhood, it's never enough. You want to know why it's never enough? It was never meant to satisfy you. This world has nothing it can give you that will satisfy you. Nothing. Which is why it's possible to have everything and feel like you still want more. But in the life Jesus offers to you, in the eternal life, Jesus doesn't come to satisfy your bank account or your desire for, he comes to satisfy the soul. And he pours a satisfaction into your soul that breaks the shackles off of your life from thinking, I need more money or more stuff or more power or more popularity or more position or more prestige. If everybody would just think better of me, if I'll be the most popular, if I'll have the most, be the most, he breaks the shackles of that slavery off of you. You want to know how? He satisfies your soul. And suddenly you can look at everything this world has to offer and go, I don't need it because I've got Christ. That old hymn says, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus, right? That's the life that Jesus comes to offer. It is here. It is now. You can be born again now, but not only is it here now, it is in the yet to come. It is in the forever, in that once we enter into this relationship with Jesus, we enter into a life that will last for all eternity. It is perpetual life. It goes on and on and on, and there is no end. So no matter how many days you have lived or how many days you have left, this relationship with Christ does not have an expiration date. You do, and I do, but this relationship does not. Everything else in this world where we seek to find life has an expiration date. But this life in Christ is eternal. And it is eternally satisfying. And it is redemptive. And it will save you from your sin. And it will cause you to be born again. And it will, Ezekiel said it this way, the life in Christ is that he's going to take out the heart of stone and he's going to give you a heart of flesh. 
Peter said it this way, we're going to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we're going to be transplanted, transformed, moved over into the kingdom of light. Which means the most important question every single one of us can answer in this life is this. It's the most important question. Do I have eternal life? Whatever question you are convinced is important, it pales in comparison to that. Do I have eternal life? Because every single person in this room is in one of two realities. We're, we're in one of two realities. We, are either, we either live with eternal life or we live in eternal death. We're in one of those two. We either live with eternal life or we live in eternal death. We either live in a relationship with God where we know God and he knows us and we're in a relationship or we live where we are not in a relationship with God and he does not know us and we do not know him and we are bound for eternal death. I want you to think about again what Jesus said in verse 3. This is eternal life that they would know you. Gnosko, personal, intimate, relationship. It is knowing God. It is not being able to affirm some facts about God. It is not in church attendance. It is not in living generously. It is in knowing God. One of the great fears I live with is that most people are going to miss eternity and they're going to miss eternal life by about 12 inches, the distance from what they know to their heart. Some of the most uh, startling verses in the Bible, maybe is the word. The verses that just when I read them, they just shake me. Just shake me to being alert. Are in Matthew 7. And Jesus is teaching. And he says these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. that shake anybody else awake like it does me? Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to what Jesus says. He says on that day, what day? The day of judgment. The day when this all ends and we are standing before God. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? God, Lord, Jesus, didn't I go to church? Didn't I get into a small group? Didn't I give some money? Didn't I give to that nonprofit? Didn't I try to raise my kids right? Didn't I not cheat on my taxes and try to be, didn't I do those things? And in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never gnoscoed. I never knew you. Same word. John 17, Matthew 7, same word. Jesus is saying in that day, I'm going to say, yeah, you did a lot of stuff for me with no relationship with me. God help us. Not one person in this room should swing eternity and bet eternal life on did I do enough stuff 
The answer is no. You haven't and you can't and you never will. It is, have I made Jesus Lord? Have I surrendered my life? Have I received his death as my death? His resurrection as my... Some of you don't need more religion. You need a resurrection. You need to be born again, made alive, something new. I was this, I met Jesus, now something, now I'm something different. Here's why. Because when God pours his life into you, it changes everything about who you are. You're changed. Which is why when we have to ask that question, do we have eternal life? We all have to answer the question, have I been changed? Well, Matt, I've grown up in church. Has your life been changed? Man, when I was seven, I said some words with a pre... Has your life been changed? Can you point to the day where you can say, this is the day I've met Jesus, and I've never been the same? Because if you're sitting in this room this morning, and you don't know that you can find that day... Jesus is offering eternal life to you. It's why he came. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever would believe, know him in relationship, believe in him, wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. I'm going to ask you to bow with me right now. We're just, we're just about done. But I want you to stay with me in this moment. Because this could be the most important moment of your entire existence. And I'm going to ask you some questions. And these aren't questions I know the answer to, but they certainly are questions you're going to know the answer to. And it's incredibly important that you are able to look into your soul and answer them honestly. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you holding up a mirror to your soul. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I have a relationship with God through Jesus? Am I certain that I have eternal life? Do I know God? And does God know me? This morning, many of you are sitting in this room and you know you don't have a relationship with God. You know that you need to be born again. You know there is no peace in your life. Romans 6 says we, through Christ we can have peace with God and you know that you need that today. If that's you, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to I'm going to give you some words to pray, but there's nothing magic about my words. You take these words and you make them your words. And you pray this prayer in your own words. If you know you need life, I want you to pray something like this. God, I know I am far from you. And I need a Savior. God, I am tired of trying to fix my own life. I need eternal life. Will you save me from my sin and save me from myself and give me life in Jesus? If you prayed that prayer this morning, maybe you prayed that for the very first time. You you prayed to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm going to ask you to do something very courageous, very courageous. And that is right now. If you prayed that, I want you to look at me and stand up. 
Everybody else is their heads are bowed right now across this room. I prayed that. I'm going to make Jesus thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just stay standing. Stay with me for a moment. Some folks are just going to connect with you. We just want to help walk through what God is doing in your life. Anybody else? I'm, I am making Jesus. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I need to be born again, and I am making Jesus the Lord of my life. Right where you are, you stand up and look at me for a moment. Stand up and look at me. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. There's salvation in the room today. Right where you are. Even if you haven't stood up, but you know this is what you need. You know it's what you need. I want you to stand up and look at me. I need Jesus. I can't do this anymore. I need Jesus. Okay. Now I want you to, everybody in the room, I want you to look up at me for a moment. I want to tell you. One, just a minute, we're all going to stand up. And maybe for some reason, you just... You just couldn't. It just felt too awkward. You just didn't know how to get up and do that. Then in just a moment, we're going to start singing. And everybody's going to be standing. And I want you to step out. And I just want you to come down. We're waiting for you right here. We just want to connect with you and pray with you and help you take that next step in your relationship with Jesus. For some of you, you do have a relationship with God. But I want to ask you this question. Does your life reflect that you've been born again? Is the life you're living, is it lived with an evidence of I belong to God, I know Him and He knows me and I've been made new? Or would you have to be honest and say, actually my life is far from God. And it doesn't even look like I belong to Him. If that's you, I want you to hear these words. It is time to repent and come home. It's time to come home. It is time to come to the God who loves you. It's time to come to the God who died for you. He didn't die to give you fire insurance from hell. He died, he died to give you abundant life right now. And if you aren't walking in that, it may be that you just need to come and pray. Pray with us. Pray at this altar. Say, I, need to be, I just need to repent and come home to the Lord. So whether you need salvation or you just need somebody to pray with you, whatever you need, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. And I want you to come. So would you stand with me right now? Father, I pray that in the next few minutes, your presence would continue to stir and move and draw us into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.